0: It's like, baby, 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 oh. Who was that? That's Justin Bieber a few years ago. <laughs> You're not a
1: bad singer. That was nice. I can't wait for 74-year-old Justin
2: Bieber <laughs>
1: to sell out the Meadowlands. This is Unorthodox, the universe's leading Jewish podcast. I am Mark Oppenheimer, joined today by my co-hosts, Tablet Deputy Editor Stephanie Butner. Hi. And Tablet Senior Writer Leah Leibovitz. Hello to you. This week we interviewed returning Jew of the Week. I believe she's now a three timer
0: mm-hmm. Jew of the Week,
1: Taffy three-peat Bro- Jewess. a three peat Jewess, Taffy Brodesser Akner. She is going to be speaking with us about her new book, Fleischman is in Trouble, a book so popular that I now see it as one of the twelve offerings in airport bookstores. I was just flying and I saw it. Like the options were James Patterson, Stephen King, yada yada. Prominent in airport bookstores and on Twitter, the two cultural meccas of our time. That's it's right, true. We also interviewed superstar New York City downtown. Baker Umber Ahmed, who owns Mazadar, which is opening up new shops in DC and is going, it's going worldwide, but you're going to hear her early in the ascent. Soon by you. Soon by (laughs) you. What's going on, guys? Stephanie, what's happening?
0: So I haven't talked about my cat in a while. (laughs) Cat Stevens. Cat Stevens, Butnick Cohen, or as his Walgreens pharmacy name, Stephen Cat Butnick. Mm. I was like, the cat isn't like a modifier. The cat wait, is the name. Wait, wait, wait.
1: You get feline medication at the Walgreens pharmacy? I pick up like
0: our meds together, yes. As, ever. as listeners know, he's on 10 milligrams of fluoxetine, which is actual adult, like human Prozac.
1: But you get it.
0: I pick them up together. When our
1: dog has been on meds. You have to go to the vet. Yeah,
0: well, there's, the there's vet like other, there are other so channels. There
1: are other channels for dog medicine.
0: Yeah, I mean, there's like, the I've done MixLab. There's one, there's like a like a startup that delivers it to you. It costs like twice as much. And they give you like little catnip toys. And I'm like- Don't give me catnip. Catnip makes my cat crazy. And you should know that because my cat is on Prozac. You you can't just give everyone catnip. Uppers,
1: downers, uppers, downers. Is that like with
0: gluten and kids? Guys,
1: read the freaking
2: prescription.
0: So here's a funny thing. So he eats this like canned food twice a day. And I'm, you know, I always get the yellow flavor because it's like the easier to basically get out of the can.
2: Yellow flavor.
0: But I saw new flavors the other day and I was like, oh, cool, blue and pink. Mm. I'll get those. Mm. And so last night I opened a can of blue being like, what is it? I put it in the can and I see shrimps in it, like tiny baby shrimps in the cat food. And I was just like, I feel very uncomfortable about this. First of all, why does my cat need to be eating shrimp? Also like, I don't know that he eats
2: shellfish. (laughs)
0: Like I never uh, really gave I think him shellfish. because
2: he's kosher, or he might be allergic. <laughs> yeah, like
0: which, I was just sort of like I actually don't here? know that I'm ready to feed my pet child shellfish. Tree. Or just
1: yeah. were they ethically sourced?
0: I mean, they definitely were not <laughs> ethically sourced. They were in a little tin again. But so I was like, oh, wait,
1: but you eat shellfish, right?
0: Yeah, but it was like the first time I had really thought about like what it is You're that my raising cat a child. Eats. Yeah, yeah. And I, then I was like, I guess his other foods were like tuna. I mean, I just never actually saw what it is inside mm. the food. Mm. And so I was like, I mean, I already had put it into the thing. And I was like, should I just give it a try? And I was like, Ben, I feel weird about this. It just seems gross. Anyway, he ate it. Loved it. Barfed this morning. <laughs> <laughs> That's why I was a little <laughs> late coming here. So like, I don't have to worry about it because he's not going to eat the blues ever again. Am I wrong? Because there like, is uh,
1: kosher pet food for people who don't think, want to bring Trafe into their Jewish home. Am I think I'm wrong like, about there's that? there's
0: definitely kosher for Passover. We've talked about like kosher for Passover pet food, I think, because it's like, Grain, do you eat grain, not grain?
1: I would love to hear from uh, the
2: Jake Crew. If, if the cat, you know, eats kidney mm-hmm. for Passover, there's like a
1: special <laughs> like quinoa It's a Persian cat, right. Sephardic,
0: it's fine. I <laughs> know
1: that some of our listeners have definitely thought deeply about what they're bringing in pet food-wise, yeah, vis-a-vis their kashrut me? levels. I want some phone calls at 914-570-4869 about... Do you let your cats and dogs eat or other animals? Uh, your geckos. Eat, eat traif. Do they eat trafe? You know, do you have? Do you keep the trafe a certain distance? Yeah, from Yeah, like your I should kitchen? have put it on
0: a paper plate because it's right. shrimp. Right. Probably
1: is aluminum foil involved. <laughs> now you need someone to watch the cat when you go to
0: Israel. Wow, I'm yeah. talking about myself a lot. Um, I'm going to Israel. When you listen to this podcast on Thursday, I will still be be like nine hours away from going to the airport because it's a night flight, which means I will be stressed all day long. This is interesting. (laughs) (laughs) So we're flying Delta. So Ben isn't going to have the LL experience. But this is the Delta flight that gets in at 5 p.m. on Friday, which is, I think, for people who like... Don't mind cutting it close. It's for Christians.
1: It's for evangelical Christian tour groups. But you will get in
0: before Shabbat because it's probably the sunset's late because it's summer. So I think you could get some people who are trying to cut it close. Possibly.
2: Possibly. But what's a flight to Israel without being, you know?
1: I'm sorry we're going to be three hours delayed yeah. because some dude <laughs> won't sit next to a lady, you know? I'm
0: curious about the Delta. I've never flown Delta there.
1: I've only flown Delta there. I think Birthright took Delta if I'm not mistaken. Birthright in,
0: doesn't take a lot.
1: So in the year 2000, I'm I'm pretty sure I've never flown El. So where do you LL.
0: went in 2000? So I went in
1: 2000. Like a genuinely uh, different world. I was it was a genuinely different world. I was 26, which was the upper upper limit then because they hadn't exhausted 26. all they hadn't exhausted all the Jews uh ages 18 to 26 at that point. Now yeah. it's yeah. Like, it was like
0: 30, right? Now mm-hmm. it's like are you
1: between 0 and 50 and haven't Lived in Israel for right. many years. Good. We'll for send more you. than sixteen years right. <laughs> at a time. Is your Hebrew not entirely fluent? Fine. You Did can you go. Serving the IDF for five years or less. Or less. <laughs> okay. It used to be pretty selective. Like, have you never been to Israel? Then it became, have you never been on an educational trip to Israel? And I believe we took Delta. And then when I when I went with Rebecca and my parents a couple years ago, we took Delta. So I don't think I've ever had the Al experience. I'm telling you, you're missing out on a lot. Leal, what's going on with you?
2: Uh, so the reason I look more bleary-eyed and sleep-deprived than usual is because You do
0: look—I see, like, some bags right under your eyes. Right. I'm yeah. kind of, your
2: bags uh, kind have of bags. It. Yeah, that's true. And and that's because I spent last night with uh, the Rolling Stones, mm. which was a freaking rock-and-roll concert, but actually left me with this profoundly depressing thought, which, Mark, I know, because we chatted before we got in here, uh, I know you agree with— so, so here's, here's who I saw In, in my lifetime right? Mm-hmm. I saw Paul McCartney mm-hmm. I saw Tom Petty I saw Neil Young Bob Dylan The Rolling Stones I saw every single Almost yep. Every single I saw David Bowie Like every single Great kind of Icon awesome. of rock music
1: Pretty much Same here
2: 30, 40 years from now who are my children going to be excited to see as a kind of, like, great um, reunion tour? Remember that time
1: I saw Marshmallow with Halsey? Right.
2: Oh, <laughs> Mark, man, very and cool. And then the
1: next week, Ed L- L- Sheeran. Nas X is and doing a reunion tour. Panic at the Disco. And the
2: Chainsmokers. My okay. point is that it's all shit.
1: Meek Mill. It's
2: all <laughs> absolute it's shit. All shit. And I know every generation is like, oh, kids, you like Elvis and my time. There was right. great music. It was, you know... The band leader or whatever. <laughs> uh, but here's the thing. We're actually the first generation for whom this is actually right. Everything made right now is utter freaking garbage. And our children will grow up in a world in which all live music options yeah. will be these absolute plasticized mediocrities. And I am willing. Uh,
0: no, I
1: completely agree. If I may,
0: y'all are old AF. Look, you've taken your daughter to see... Taylor Swift with Camilla Cabello opening. Like, she has this culture.
1: That's
2: ex- Don't worry about her. She's th- going to no, be fine. That's exactly the, the correct uh, answer. Do you see Camilla Cabello, like, 40 years from now? Like, uh, let me sing Havana Una Nata. No,
0: no, no. You guys, you can't talk. It's so easy to look back and be like, oh, the Rolling There's Stones. There's one
1: subspecies of it. Wait, do you really think that? Do you really think Taylor Swift no, equals Rolling I'm, Stones? I'm a little
0: bit joking, but I think it's, it's impossible to say now what your kids are going to have, like, think of as classics. My Israeli cousins we in town a few weeks ago, and my yeah. the, the 10-year-old Noam was so adorable. He yeah, Noam. the first night at dinner, he really was sensitive about his English. He was really like not wanting to speak, he didn't know that much English, and all of a sudden I hear him humming, I'm gonna take my horse down to Old Town Road. <laughs> and I'm like, Are you singing the entirety of Old Town Road right now in the exact like way it sounds? And I was like, you do know English. You know? <laughs> And so I was just like I'm local- gonna and like we basically sang old town road together. Mm-hmm. So that's his English vocabulary, isn't it? No old now he, and by the end of like a ten <laughs> day like, hey, trip he know
2: a lot. Get myself a fancy guitar. <laughs>
1: My kids do know all their, their English vocabulary is all town road. Um, it's funny because my kids learn Hebrew through like the shittiest pop songs <laughs> and no words and phrases of like you really should know
2: it. Ain't.
0: Can't nobody tell them nothing.
1: So as you guys know, it was my it was my birthday this week. Happy Be, to, happy to, to you. you. Thank you. I turned to forty five, and the first text I got now there's certain people who always remember my birthday. My, my, so you guys remember my birthday. Well, Stephanie. our producer,
0: Sarah, put it in the
1: calendar. Yeah, so the unorthodox team uh, remember my birthday. Thank you, guys. Uh, my friend Abigail Hillman, whom I haven't, I don't see enough of her anymore. She lives in Philadelphia now, old college friend. She always remembers. Uh, my friend Seth always remembers. My family uh, remembers. The first birthday message I got this year, it was a text at about 7.23 in the morning. It was from the Levy Dental Group. <laughs> <laughs> Now, here's the thing about the Levy oh, Dental Group, which man. is the most prestigious dental practice in Greater New Haven. Oh, I'm sure it is. Is that John Levy is not even with the Levy Dental Group anymore? He so sold. They were like it. This he sold good, it though. He sold it, <laughs> but the Levy name says good teeth in Greater New Haven, so they kept it. So it's it's now uh, it's Doctor Bogacki and Doctor someone else, and they do text. But, but they it, they are the Levy Dental Group, and they have you on auto text for your birthday. And so the first text, I get, it says like from Angela. I'm like, who the fuck is it? I don't know an Angela. Yes, and it it's is like, like who's it, Angela? Mar- and right. then I listened to I it. See you at seven in the morning. <laughs> it's like she's the... Dental hygiene, and it is, and I and I listen to the the uh, or I look at the message. like, hi, this is Angela from the Leafy Dental Group. Happy birthday! (laughs) So then I had this thought, which is when it all goes to hell, right? Like when I'm you know 85 years old and I'm a widower and my children don't call anymore (laughs) and my grandchildren don't. It's a
2: weirdly specific (laughs) (laughs) fantasy. You know
1: who's still gonna remember my birthday? (laughs) (laughs) (laughs)
2: Leafy
1: Dental Group. (laughs) They're gonna
0: ping into your brain a happy birthday emoji. Now
1: I also want to say. Got some amazing presents from my family. They were just so wonderful. My kids were great. All five of the kids were home yesterday for the first time in quite a while because Rebecca has been off on her travels. And at 1.20 in the afternoon, I had an ice cream cake from Ashley's, uh, half butter crunch, half coffee Oreo, and they gave me some presents. And one of the presents was from my daughter, Clara, who's eight years old, almost nine, and she has this cow, this, this uh, stuffed cow, that, and, and we have this joke that at night, I say the Shema to her, and her cow says the Shemu to me. Oh. So she did the whole, she wrote out a script for the whole Shemu, like the Shema and the Ahavta, the, Ahav, the V'ahavta afterwards. Oh Shemu Israel? In cow. Could we make a quick phone call? Clara's gonna do the Shemu I for us. I would love to hear the Shemu. So we're calling Clara right now to- uh,
0: What is this, The Daily? Hello,
1: uh, Hello. this is Daddy. Who's this? Oh, hi, Daddy. Is this Clara? Yeah. Oh, do you want to be on the podcast? Yes. Okay, we need you to read the Shamu. Could you go get the Shamu? So explain to everyone what the Shamu is.
3: Okay, so I have a stuffed count in Gwackley, and he has a dream. He had a dream, which was to be a cow rabbi, which is a profession. So soon he became a cow rabbi and then he invented the shemu, which is the Shema but with moo.
1: Got it. Okay, can you read a little bit of the shemu for us?
3: Okay. Okay. Shemu Yisra moo Adamu Alomu Moo Adamu moo Wow, Clara, Claire, that was I amazing! Could, I can tell
2: you that Hashem Mu is very proud of
1: you. Thanks, Clara. I'll see you later today. Okay, love.
0: Okay.
2: Okay.
1: I think ba- you're
0: ready for Bye. your bat mitzvah. Your bat mitzvah. <laughs> that, was <amazing. laughs> that was amazing. That
1: was incredible.
0: So absolutely
2: amazing. That's what
1: I got for my birthday yesterday. My Ugh. daughter rewrote the Shema in Mu. I think you're done. Done. That yeah, kid, that kid doesn't need any more education. Parenting out. That's right. All right.
0: Stephanie, want to give us some news of the Jews? Yes. Guys, Wonder Woman Gal Gadot is about to play. Why are you laughing? The Drum original roll. Wonder Woman, Hedy Lamar, who is this like badass Jewish actress, like bombshell, but who also like invented Wi-Fi and mm-hmm. actually no one really knows about her. And mm-hmm. now Gal Gadot is playing her in a miniseries and you're just like, is this the greatest news of the Jews that ever Jewed?
2: I think in the uh, miniseries, she would also invent ways
1: <laughs> just, just just to keep <laughs> so on So can brand. you
0: explain, do you understand what her invention was?
1: Yes. It, it had to do with, so she was genuinely an inventor who... Silent screen siren and also... I think she actually came... In talkies? to in talkies, okay.
2: as, as we call them. But as then, us 40-year-olds
1: call right. them, the but, talkies. But then... <laughs> <laughs> but then also, the pictures also invented computers and the internet.
2: Uh, no, also invented a system of not to be too geeky, but a system of basically wartime radars that uh, then became the kind of founding principle behind Wi Fi. She's basically the coolest person in history. She basically is amazing. So, and, and this was someone who at every turn was sort of belittled by men who like, Hey, you're pretty, whatever, we'll put you in three pictures. Like, right. And here is a genius invention. So, screw all of you.
0: By the way, she, so she's like this beautiful woman, right? Obviously super smart, but she was the inspiration for like the look of Snow White.
1: Whoa. Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah. She gave us the
1: entire modern world.
0: There's a great article in tabletmag.com. I -hmm. put it on the homepage under editor's picks Mm -hmm. and it's about Hedy Lamarr, who's sort of like, she should be better known and I guess now she will be, Mm -hmm. but it's kind of cool that Galgadot is playing her.
1: Also, a very good entry on her in the newest Jewish there encyclopedia. There is. That's where I learned
0: a lot about her. And mm. I love
1: that Hedy Lamar, who was born.
2: She was
0: born. Oh, something really good. Hedwig Kiesler. Right. In 1914, we'll
2: have in Vienna. We'll have exactly the uh, accent of someone who was born Hedwig Kiesler. Um, so I am right. here inventing the Wi-Fi, uh, like we did it, in uh, Schlesia, you know, <laughs> where it,
0: I grew up, is it uh, with be the like Schlitzen. In Wonder Woman, where everyone has like a vaguely Israeli right. accent, right.
1: <laughs> so that Gal Gadot doesn't sound. out- <laughs> Out of place in
0: Robin a- Wright is like eh, <laughs>
1: eh <laughs> <laughs> So that's some good news of the Jews. Liel, you want to take us to uh, our favorite country for some less pleasant news of the Jews? Take us oh. to
2: Old Town Belgian <laughs> Road. I'm going to take you down to the Belgian Road in Belgium. I want to get this just right, so I, I pulled up the article. Here's the thing. I only had to read the first four <laughs> words of this the headline. Way,
0: 17 people have posted this in I our know, Facebook group. T-
2: to, to know exactly where this comes from. Jews have ugly noses. Even before you finish the headline, it's about you Belgium. know the next word is going to be. <laughs> (laughs) Belgian journalist writes in column attacking Israel. First of all, there's a photo of uh, a certain Dimitri Verhulst Uh, which is Flemish for molester of children, um, (laughs) in which uh, he doesn't look Uh, like someone who should criticize other people's looks. Let's just leave it at that. Uh, In his defense, he's uh, quoting Serge Gainsbourg, who is a famous French pop singer and obviously a Jew, who said, uh, being Jewish is not a religion. No God would give creatures such an ugly nose. And uh, Monsieur Verhulst thought this is an appropriate comment for him to make. Which dipshit it's not at all for you because you're a filthy anti Semite and a and a Belgian. And the Al column is
1: obviously criticizing Israel.
2: But but I repeat myself. That's right. No uh, yes. Israel.
1: And then flying on LL Al from Belgium to Israel, a uh, little news. The most popular Jewish names in Israel list has come out. Ooh, it's what good to are know. They? What are they? Good to know they're doing those lists for Israel as well as for the U.S. Well, you know, what
0: people like lists of names of Jews.
1: Lists of names. Of Jews.
0: If <laughs> we've right. learned anything, let's make
1: more of them. Is it like a place where like everyone's listed? <laughs> should, we, should just go there. Like and see five million it? of them or so. Oh, six. Yeah, it's five to six million of them. So in Israel this year, uh, the most popular names for Jews. It's the most popular name of all, is Muhammad, of course. because of course. so many uh, mm-hmm. Arab citizens of Israel give their child that name. But for Jews, the most popular names in, uh, I don't know if it's was 57, in, in the 79, famous, 79. Famous apartheid state of Israel, the most popular name overall is Muhammad. David and Tamar. So my son has been given a name that will travel well. Wow. Uh, David and Tamar also, according to uh, the article in the Jewish Telegraphic Agency's syndication service, quote, rising in popularity from 2000 to 2018 were the names Ayala, Abigail, Arbel, Arbel, Mm -hmm. Ophir, Carmel, Lee—that's that's S-H-A-I hyphen L-E-E. I mean, it's something else in Hebrew. Aviv, Omer, Geffen, Levi, Halel, Halali, Mayal, Ariel, Anhal, Emmanuel, and Tohar. Also on the rise are Aria, Miley... Mila, Emily, Romy, Liv, Lenny, Alma, Emma, Eve, Gaia, and Anne. Uh, Alexa, Siri. (laughs) So basically, I just want to pull out of the the sonic uh, cloud there. I want to pull out of the noise. um, Aria. Aria. Miley. oh
0: Miley, who's that after? Um,
1: Lenny, and Shy Lee. Could we start, Le, Le, I want you to break all of these down for us. Shy Lee? Uh, Shy Lee is a popular Israeli name, it was when I
2: grew up. What, what the hell what it is mean? it? It means a, a gift to me. Shy is a gift, and it's also a, a standalone name. I like that And, and, like, and the no, Lee thing is, Shy that's is common. is fine,
0: a gift is fine, I want a gift to me. Right, right. Shy
2: Lee. Th- that's, that's, that's common enough. But that leads me to really, I think, the biggest surprise here, which is Arya, yeah. clearly after Game of Thrones, Arya Stark, Which, you know, tells you that Israelis are Netflix and chill AF. (laughs) (laughs) AF. And, of course, Anne. They're like, we watch the Netflix. uh, Then we make the sexy time. (laughs) uh, Then we name Kidaria. Guys, Mila
1: is
0: amazing because that's like definitely because of Mila Kunis. Well, so here's what's interesting. I know it's a Rebecca. Or
1: the Briss Mila. Approximately 30% of Rebecca's tween friends are named Mila. I don't think they're all after Mila Kunis. It's one of those names. It's like (laughs) Jaden's sister is Mila.
0: I love that Eve is making a comeback. And
2: Literally, the OG. You know what is one of the fastest uh, declining names in popularity?
0: Oh, oh, uh, BB.
2: Uh, well, <laughs> Doodoo. Uh, Dudu will forever reign. Listen, Dudu, Doody, Nimrod, <laughs> Moron. Those are evergreens. Like okay. it will never not be yeah. funny. But, uh, but my my own my own you know made up weird
1: name Leal uh, is not doing well. Were there lots of other Leels for no. a time? What but does there it were mean some. again? There's, Wolf? It,
2: <laughs> it means Peace, gazelle. hello,
1: and goodbye.
2: <laughs> <laughs> it means I have a God and people are not loving it. Mm. People would rather go with
1: Lenny. Lenny. Letty. Friends, send your favorite Israeli nephew's newborn name to us on at tabletmag.com. Yeah,
4: I'm going to take my horse to the old town road. I'm going to ride till I can't no more. I'm gonna t-
0: Journalist Taffy brodesser Ackner returns to the show because she has written a
1: novel. Novelist Taffy Brodesser-Akner makes Agner her debut on the show.
0: With her debut novel, Fleischman is in Trouble. It is a New York Times bestseller. And we appreciate you writing this so that you could come back on our show. That's why I did it. Thank you.
5: I kept trying to get back on.
0: Before we get started, there was a tweet about someone was present when you found out your book was on the New York Times. Yeah. Yeah.
5: And what did you do when you found that out? I cursed. I screamed. And where were you? I was at SFO at the baggage carousel (laughs) and I screamed, holy fucking shit. And someone heard me and came up to me and said, are you taffy? And I and, I'll, and I don't I really understand. It gets it's, even better. <laughs> it's like it's like oh lame cursing <laughs> and desperation in an airport. I know her, I, but she, he knew who I was. He had he had um, just bought my book and my pictures in there. This person then tweeted I like,
0: "I saw." Taffy, like, upon hearing, she had become a best-selling author. Yeah. (laughs) And this was all chronicled on the internet. It was amazing.
5: It was amazing. And the the rest of the day just fell apart. (laughs) I got into an Uber where I gave the wrong location because... I was so distracted because I had a best you know, like I had to call my parents and they're divorced, so I had to call them <laughs> at different places and and, and
1: this will it, bring them together this, again. Yeah,
5: like, nothing. Yeah. The, you know, this, not even this. If their virulent uh, <laughs> hatred for others can't bring them together, then what what chance does it best-selling have? Best selling
1: daughter, no. Um,
5: yeah, no best selling daughter. They're now they're just arguing over who, who did it.
1: Who gets the credit? Who did it? Who, gets who the got the credit, me Because right. the
5: divorce really did inspire a lot of I this mean book. they're not wrong. They (laughs) really are, like... They inspire me.
0: So,
1: message from my wife, Sid, who oh, loved the book. She thank wants you to know, So, here's who's read the book in the greater Oppenheimer. Oh, uh, some of them were young. So, uh, uh, <laughs> me and my wife. And thank then you. we got Matt Higby and Nicole Fleur to read it. And then Emma and Sam Sokoloff, Ruben Purdy. We've gotten a community of six or eight people to argue wow. about, like, who do you hate more, him right. or her? And, right. him, and it's been really interesting. So, people should know who haven't read the book that we see a divorce in progress, a separation through the eyes first of the man, of the husband. Mm-hmm. And then no for about the last third, it's sort of, I don't
5: think, is that spoiling? How would you describe the it, novel, it, Taffy? Uh, it, there are some wrinkles in the end. Some wrinkles there in are the are end. There are some wrinkles in the end. You know what? I never thought it would get published, and I never thought that anyone would care if it were, and I never anticipated ever having to talk about this. But now I know. No twists at the end no for twist. the next one. <laughs> so <laughs> the next one, you can see it coming a mile away.
1: But I just want to say like, it has provided some really good, interesting like, marital fodder because Sid and I didn't see it the same way. Our loyalties were divided in interesting, oh, curious ways. that like
5: hear all That like it. one
1: evening threatened the amity of the Shalom Bite. I think of it like the ring.
5: Like the minute you see it, your face blurs and you're not the same. <laughs> exactly. Like you're
1: doomed a little. <laughs> and you have to make someone else. Isn't that the, the movie only, where you have to, someone else has, what to, has to see next. the movie or you die, you pass the death along. Yeah. But here's what. I wanted to know, sure. which is, and I'm sure you've been asked this on other podcasts, but I don't listen to podcasts. Which is, this guy, he's going through a divorce. He's like five three, five five, five five. Fleischman is five five. Now, as a five seven and a half man, I can say he's very extremely tall. I know, too like, I I got married in the pre-internet dating era, but I've heard that if you're five seven and a half, the women just round heeled women everywhere, right? I hear that if you're five seven and a half, you're really five six. You're <laughs> well, I'm five nine, but I'm really five seven half you're really five six you're well I'm five nine but I'm really five seven a half <laughs> but here's this five-five guy who's, you know, he's not made out to be an Adonis and he's no. a somewhat neurotic yeah. gentleman and just, just easy women. Like you get on Tinder and it's just easy an women. Abundance
2: easy, of an abundance of goods. <laughs> Is it
1: really, I'm sure you did some research. It's not my sense that that's what 20 somethings are. Aren't women looking for relationships and men are a little more shallow? The women are easy in their forties as easy as the men on Tinder at that age? I guess easy isn't really a word we use for that anymore.
5: But yes, the women are very sex positive and very into figuring it out and like taking everything for a ride to see if it's still like what's going on out there now. It's a very it's a thriving world of sexuality. I don't know what's going on for people in their 20s. Even for
2: a short gentleman. Is what we're
1: especially, asking,
5: especially because I want to submit to you as a group of Jews here. We all know, like the very short. What is the math now? <laughs> the sh- the, like we all know those really short guys, right? Like they, I do. They, they went into the world thinking back in the '90s when they were dating, thinking that they didn't stand a chance, and they Literally. projected it. And they were the guys who were too funny, or too, you know, like. Right. And now they don't have. They just have to put down their stats and women self-select and they just come at them and some people do not have the issues with height that those men projected onto themselves and that's what i think was that's that's why i made him short because i thought it was very interesting to have this thing that you thought was an incurable pox on you to not even be an issue anymore
1: it turns out there was always a community of women who didn't care that they were short. Yeah, but they, but they were just like, they drove them off. I by was being always insecure. chubby,
5: and I was always like, "Ah, look at me! I'm so smart and I'm so funny or whatever." <laughs> when maybe I didn't have to do that. Maybe some guys would have been like, "Fine." But I never thought they would be, and so I never... You could
1: have been frosty and had a bad personality. <laughs> I, I, could have
5: been, I could have been a bitch.
0: Yeah. Uh, uh, what, i what so
1: work sad. so hard? I
5: know, if I could do it all over.
1: If only.
0: The book is called Fleischman is in Trouble. Yeah. Um. I sent you... It's like
1: Portnoy, though. Now. It's just Fleischman now.
0: Yeah, it's Fleischman. It's just um, Fleischman. Um, Aww. But I live emailed you during my yes, reading you did. I loved the book. it. Um, I felt really lucky to be able to do that. The subject of the email is a quote his dreidel-shaped mother, which was a description that I felt was so perfect. I knew exactly what that woman looked like. And I, you know, I feel like I'm wondering, did everyone really, is is everyone emailing you being like, this Jewish content is spot on. So
5: my friend Alison said to me while she was reading it, she said, it's so Jewish, but I can't figure out what's so Jewish about it. And I think it's those little things And also that, like, my assumption in the book is is Jewishness, right? Like, you know, we talk about, like, at the paper, like, you can't assume whiteness, you can't assume heterosexuality. That's part of the sort of becoming aware of the the wider world outside of what's in front of our faces or what's in our mirrors. I boldly assumed a Jewishness in this, like, because why wouldn't I? Because that's how it's going for me. But but
1: I mean, one, one reason you wouldn't. I mean to answer that question, right? To yeah. take that question seriously is the Oat woke literary world right now doesn't love Jews.
5: I mean, let's be honest. The world does anybody? <laughs> does like anybody? It? Nobody likes Jews, and now it's I mean, not even, even, even it's not even, even uncool. In this, even
1: in this room, we're kind of struggling. <laughs> we're here. on the
5: fence, which is the most Jewish thing about us, right? <laughs> right.
1: And you are someone who's like Jewishly learned from an observant background. Like oh, you, yeah. you, you rep oh, the yeah. Jews wherever.
5: Oh, you go. I mean, you're so no hiding the, for
1: me. You sent out this tweet in 2015. And I said, I said to Josh, help me find it on the Twitter. You said, ask me about my Jewish privilege. It includes having five blood relatives since the rest were murdered. Yeah, I bet a lot of people didn't like that.
5: I, it, Jews aren't it, supposed it, to talk it, about the a, fact that we
1: suffer a little now. I, you know, because white people. No one
5: ever told you. Right? There's that that strange thing. No one ever told me that. Like I was in such Jewish circles growing up that no one ever told me that it was a surprise. Like, for example. I I grew up in a house with a divorced mother and three sisters. I went to an all-girls school. Can you imagine how surprising it was to find out about sexism? (laughs) That, like, that there were people out there. There was the other half of us was getting it a lot easier than we were. So... I feel like that's what happened to me and I never lost it. I never lost the heart that women had it as good as men. It surprises me still every time the amount of emails I've gotten from men on this book would turn your hair white. Saying and what? Saying things like I went to your reading, your book is so amazing. You should um stand up straighter when you read and you should read in a more Kind of staccato way. Really own the material. You should also oh, smile. You should also I know. smile it's more. It's like it's the worst. It's like not even because those guys would never say smile more because they know that's bad. But, but then but stand up straight is right, okay. Right. They're just trying to help you. They're just trying to. They're just trying to be helpful. But in terms of like what you're asking about in the literary world, so I'm 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 constantly surprised. I've been very rewarded in my writing career for not generalizing, for being as specific as possible. And what I learn is this wonderful thing about the world, which is that as specific as you are, the more people will appreciate it and be able to relate, even if they are not at all within, contained within the specificity. That's, like a, that's about feeling like your readers are smart and probably smarter than you. So that's, I wrote the book that I knew how to write or that I could write, or the story I was capable of writing. And it turned out OK. I mean, maybe I would be like the crawdad's lady if it wasn't so Jewish, right? Like maybe I would be like, like best selling her. But you know, th- this was way more than I expected for a book called Fleischman is in <laughs> Trouble, which I was told by a lot of people was a little New York-y.
1: <laughs> I guess also what I'm curious about is we all know, I mean, I have found that most of the Jewish writers who work in New York publishing at places like GQ and the New York Times and other places right. that you work for, are somewhat in the closet about their Judaism and are made a little uncomfortable by oh, super really? super Jewiness. Am I, I wrong about? I mean, I, I don't
5: would, know. I guess I'm just me. Like I guess I just, I. You know what? They're also like, I was like a woman in her 40s in the suburbs writing for GQ. Like I don't know. I don't think I've ever. I think if I'd come up in this industry in my 20s, I would have gotten that kind of message. Well, let me put it this but way. nobody,
1: sh- Like if you say I was in shul on Saturday, nobody else in writing no. world was ever in shul on Saturday. No. Ever. And I, and the Christians, I send my by kids way, aren't to day school. Right. And,
5: and the people...
1: People must think you're funny. this crazy parade That's sort funny. of what I'm asking.
5: People hear that. They are very polite to me. And they say, sure, no, of course. That's great. Yeah. And when I go to like, like a bar mitzvah. I feel like it's better than mitzvah, night school. Right? <laughs> when, I <go> to, <laughs> when I go to a bar mitzvah, and I say I work at the New York Times people treat me like I work at a tobacco company. Right. right, <laughs> It's right, crazy. Right, like right. I, I like I've just learned to Haven't you learned that? Like you can't, can't you're win. not you're completely unacceptable everywhere that you are. Yes. Well, I always so think, why not just be yourself? I always yourself? think if
1: I showed up in any of these offices with a yarmulke, it would oh be my god. you'd walk out and people would be like, "Oh my god, we can't let him right. write for us." <laughs> right.
0: right. Right. You're safe
5: at tablet though. Um but I, don't I don't know if, if that's <laughs> true. Like I feel like there are a, a bunch of people that have outward displays of their religion at, at the times. I don't know. I mean you were on religion, right? They might have I was... they might have given you a raise. They're like that guy commits. Um, I don't method. know. <laughs> so
0: Donzo, so but the interesting thing, like so you did one of the New York magazine Grub Street Diets and oh, in yeah. it you talk about like having people over for a barbecue and having a kosher home. Yeah. And like I think that when you're saying being so specific. I actually do think there's like something weirdly universal about right. that. Like you wrote about for the Times the show thirty something, mm-hmm. how that was like as a, like an Orthodox young person, yeah. that was your introduction to like secular life. Like how, yeah, how I would learn how to behave. Yeah. And an so adult. I'm like <laughs> I actually think to me I'm like, I love reading this. You're coming from a place that, you know, though I didn't grow up religious, I understand. But you grew up Holocaust saturated. That's true. We all did. But I think there is something weirdly universal about you
5: writing that stuff. I think, so. I think there's some pe- – it depends on what you're looking for in your writing. Some people are looking to be seen and some people are looking to learn and some people are looking for a good sentence.
2: Talk to me about Philip Roth. Because you know, oh, yeah. who's by the way, who's someone I despise d- deeply. Sure. But my question is this: When you write, is this something you're aware of? Are you struggling with him? Are you in conversation with him? Are you denying never, him? Are you embracing him? I don't even because th- I kind of felt him, kind of. I don't somewhere think about the... him
5: except I mean, we all know from from the first episode in this trilogy <laughs> before my rap album comes out <laughs> right. that I was only allowed to read like mm-hmm. literature growing Cur- up because Cur- it didn't have you know slutty. Right. Sweet Sweet Valley High girls on the cover, who are definitely going to have sex. <laughs> um, this nice man know. Portnoy, he's people, upstanding. people, people bring him up a lot in these interviews. And the only thing I can say is that, like, it's my first book. My first articles were also imitating people that I admired. You don't really know how to do something except to follow the voices in your head until you find your until you hear your own in that crowd. But maybe, maybe I just was so saturated by that. And that was the kind of book that felt legitimate to me. Like, what, what will be my novel? People always said, like, oh, you'll write like an almost famous, like a journalist and a celebrity. And that, ne- that never felt like a lateral move. What always felt like a lateral move from journalism to me would be writing a, a profile of a person that's just very long. And I guess somewhere along the line, the most legitimate form of a story became to me a man getting divorced in New York City. Like maybe maybe I was so saturated with that that I thought, here's my version of that. The stuff that comes in the end was not planned when I first started writing it. I was just trying to write what I thought was a novel. The same way when I started writing journalism, I was trying to write what felt like journalism. Let's now have the follow-up. Does that mean you hated my
2: book? <gasps> no, not at all. I read the opposite. I read I read Struggle. I read Rejection.
3: Oh, You know, I, I didn't mean this as a kind of like, oh, I'm
2: going to do the thing. I'm going to be like, you think that you could literally stick your penis in, you know, a, yeah. a, a pound yeah. of, right? And, and be cool. Like, I'm, I'm going to take that away from you. But isn't it and interesting gonna, that because you
5: know, I'm a woman, like, it's kind of written in the same way. Right. But because I'm a woman, maybe you then read it as Rejection.
1: Maybe. maybe that's actually very interesting I this novel didn't feel very Rothian to me at all is that I mean did you ask the question because you know that Taffy likes Philip Roth because no, you were because, the book because, because the spirit this, is kind of there and, and no, m-
2: maybe this is a huge projection to me but to me it was kind of like this is a, a very strong tradition of you know Jewish literary yeah, mid-century this is a Jew- and, and that's the and, Jewish and, book and, 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 <laughs> right and I'm going to reclaim right. it and, and liberate it
0: guys let's get a taste of the book oh, oh my god oh
5: sure
2: and by the way if you don't mind like just stand up straight and maybe in a staccato <laughs> voice
5: <laughs> Like, like a Just like really a own this book Just, that you wrote. So, the part I'm going to read is this is what the book is about. Um, a man who is 41, a doctor on the Upper East Side, is getting a divorce, and his ex wife, who was the more successful of them, drops the kids off a day early for his weekend. And then by Monday morning, she hasn't returned. And he doesn't know what to do with them because he had plans and he has to work. So he takes a few days off and he goes and takes them to the house that is now just hers in the Hamptons, uh, maybe secretly hoping that she would be there, maybe maybe just hoping to get a few days in the Hamptons. So Toby and his two children, Sally and Hannah, are in the car headed toward the Hamptons. He still has not told them that their mother was due and that she hasn't shown up. Suddenly from the back seat, where's mom? Sally asked. It had taken him four days to ask. I told you she had a work thing, Toby said. Can we FaceTime her? Toby looked at him in the rear view. Probably not with the time difference, bud. She's probably asleep. His sentence created an image in his mind, her in a hotel somewhere in Europe. Asleep was the thing he conjured, and for a minute he felt panicked. He put on the radio because casually putting on the radio felt like the best way to convince them that this was all normal, which it was not. His eyes settled back on the road, and the bottom of his stomach began to burn. And he imagined for a moment that the rock inside his gut was Rachel, and that he could perform surgery on himself right there in the car and pull out the rock, find her in it. That's where she went and throw the whole thing out the window where the acid of her toxicity would burrow a sinkhole into the highway pavement and then farther down into the earth's core and out the other side to China and then with renewed velocity propel out into the space over Asia and through all kinds of dark matter and parallel universes that didn't get cell phone reception and made it so that he never had to hear her fucking voice ever again.
1: (laughs) The, (laughs) The novelist Fleischman is in trouble. The author is Taffy Brodesser-Akner. Thank you for being our Jew of the Week.
0: Broadway comes to the 14th Street Y on Tuesday, May 21st. As a Jewish community center, 14Y offers a variety of opportunities for people to discover, explore, and connect with Jewish life. Visit 14streety.org to learn more and purchase tickets to Broadway at 14Y.
2: Tell me, tell me in the day or the night, would it kill you to call or write?
1: to the mailbox. You guys will recall that last week I came in just g- g- harrumphing came in hot and fetching and grumping about this guy at the at the parking lot at the train station who had backed into his spot and I thought, what kind of show-offy macho alpha male asshole backs into his no spot? No one r- forgot. And we
0: all remember. It's seared into our brain. Wow. It turns out people It's one of the some hottest feelings takes about about all the time.
1: This. Oh my God. So, to the uh, mailbox, here's just a small sampling. A I, I'm, I'm going to kind will. of start
0: with the first one. Yeah, you go it ahead. Directly references me. This is from Amy Frankel. Hi, Unorthodox. Stephanie is correct that backing in is the way to go because it is safer to pull out into oncoming traffic when you can fully see what is coming at you, especially when sandwiched between behemoth SUVs. This is especially important in Great Neck, where everyone thinks they are so important that basic traffic rules and courtesies do not apply to them. Stephanie knows what I mean. I do know from that. Yours, Amy.
2: I love how she thinks that like traffic People think traffic rules don't apply to them in great nature. (laughs) If If only there was was a whole country. If she ever (laughs) visits Israel,
0: I think she'll be
1: quite surprised. We're
0: renting a car. TBD on how that
1: goes. Here's another one. Dear Unorthodox, if you can successfully and accurately back into a spot, more power to you. My brother-in-law, who is an older, smooth jazz, cool guy type. I love the idea that there's a smooth (laughs) jazz type of guy. He can back up better than most people can drive forward. But I'm talking about the average types who seem to clog up parking spots doing the hokey pokey dance with the spot. I don't think it's so much a Goyesha versus Yidden thing, but I do see it as a dominance thing. Most of the ones I see do it at work are the ones that drive oversized pickups, wear tactical type civilian gear in their off time. And while not actually veterans themselves always wanted to serve but couldn't because of X, Y, or Z ailment, it's definitely part of their macho bravado in my humble opinion. But who knows? Maybe I'm just projecting. Love the show. Ben McCormick. Ben gets it. Those are the guys. Those are the guys, the guys who like they aren't veterans, but therefore they put flags on everything. They back into spots. And gets
2: it. Or, or they are veterans, and they back into spots
1: because they're- Because they're veterans? Superior? I don't <laughs> know. Just saying. Just putting it out there. Hi, unorthodoxers. I've been barking. I've been barking. Hi, unorthodoxers. I've been backing into parking spaces since I learned to drive in Brooklyn at the tender age of 30. Stephanie is absolutely right. It's not cultural. It's all about being able to see the other cars when you pull out. But there is one thing about parking that is very much about our lawnsmen. I first heard it from my friend Seth after we'd been driving around Midtown for 35 minutes looking for a parking spot. At one point I said, let's just put the damn car in a garage. And Seth memorably said, Jews don't pay for parking. I've taken a very informal, totally unscientific poll over the years, and it does seem to be true. Except, sorry, Stephanie, along the Port Washington train line. Judy came in. Now, opening up another front. Uh, do Jews June. not pay for parking? I don't even know what to say. I didn't even think we could go there. Liel, do you want to read this one here? I would love to. You'll see why in a moment. Hi, Unorthodox
2: podcast. Anyone who's ever parked in Israel knows that the vast majority of Israelis back into parking spots, of course, because we're tough, particularly in large parking lots like shopping malls. Reason why? Apparently military training, as had been explained to me. Signed, Stephen Amrock. Um, I don't recall there being any part of basic training. Like, uh, so we complete grenade launching. Next week we do backup parking. Uh, I, don't, I don't remember no. that being a thing, but it's definitely a sort of like, I'm in command of this machine, and I will show you my masculinity. I, I also do. just this
1: Humvee. I love the idea that in the diaspora, we attribute everything to IDF training. Uh, here's another one. G- give us the next one, Liel. Shalom. Liv- <laughs> uh, shalom. <laughs> Living in Israel, at least in the Jerusalem
2: area, I would guess that over 90% of people back into parking spaces when they can. I grew up in Denver, and my parents never backed in, and neither did I. But in tight Israeli parking spaces and packed garages, one has to take extreme
1: measures. Eitan Levy. Extreme measures. That's true. Everything in Israel is extreme. Hello, Unorthodox. I think your discussion missed why it's easier to see other cars and pedestrians when you back into a spot. When backing into a spot, you first approach it driving down the aisle and can easily spot pedestrians nearby. I think of it as a somewhat nerdy thing to do, not a macho thing. And I've never thought of it as being particularly Jewish or Goyish. Nathan Kazimer, Chicago. All right, now oh, I like
0: this one. This one's from Beth Marlowe. I'm curious if Mark has ever driven a large car, only because it is often much easier to see what you're doing in reverse, and therefore makes backing into a small space much easier than backing out. I highly recommend that Mark give it the old college try and spend a week backing into his spaces. Um, Mark has a Prius. Yeah,
1: well, wait a with, second. With,
0: like, New Haven stickers all <laughs> over
2: it. That's my... But also a minivan.
1: Right. Does, does Mark with five with children, 17 children, has yeah. he ever driven a large car? I don't know, is a 2005 Honda Odyssey minivan whoa, whoa. large enough for Tricked you? out. Like, I Spinners. have driven- With rims yeah. and right. But yeah. you know what? I'll try backing that in later today. Okay, Beth Marlowe?
3: Now here's where it gets
1: really aggro. Hey gang, it's not Jewish to park facing out, what? What? I'm about as Jewish as they come, and I wouldn't be caught dead parking face-in. It's safer to do your maneuvering while facing oncoming traffic and in full view of said traffic. And it's infinitely safer to exit a parking space looking forward. And yes, it makes it easier to pull out quickly, but don't tell that to the goyim. Sure, my father always parked facing out, and I served in the U.S. Army, where parking facing out is mandatory. And I drive a semi for a living, which forces you to get good at backing. And of course, it adds a little unwarranted swagger to my step. But most importantly, it makes my ho hum dad car much easier to find in parking lots full of ho hum dad cars. Mark. Keep doing what you do. Ari Mandel. Keep doing what
3: oh,
2: you do. Oh, yeah. That. Except
1: I'm a veteran and I drive, and a, I drive semi. a semi. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. And my, and my
2: tattoos have tattoos. <laughs> oh, my
1: God. No, wait. But wait. But wait. This is the best letter of all. Okay. 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 So, Greg Herring, which, by the way, is that like his Jew face name? Herring. Best letter of 5779 so far from Greg Herring. To respond to Mark's idea that backing in is goyish, I would contend that the inclination to think critically and analytically about the ramifications of pulling forward in is a Jewish-influenced behavior. As people with millennia of intergenerational trauma around persecution, the idea of being able to see our surroundings also makes for a valid contention that backing in is the more Jewish option pulling through is the real litmus test Whoa. it provides the same benefits without the machismo but obviously isn't always an option to this point and relevant to Mark's original observation the guy backing in in an empty parking lot is just proving that he can
0: I will say you're not supposed to pull through to the next space because no one's actually expecting you to come like if there, someone sees it on the other side so I will say that that's just bad That's just, we're not supposed to do that but
1: this guy related it to epigenetics it's true
0: yeah <laughs> That means we all have to take a shot right now. Epigenetics comes up. Greg Herring, I think from Whitefish, Montana. (laughs) Ah.
1: Write to us at at com. Call us at 914-570-4869. Happy birthday. We love
2: you.
0: Our Gentile of the Week is Umber Ahmad. She is the pastry pioneer behind Mazadar, a bakery in Manhattan's West Village. She was nominated for the 2019 Outstanding Baker Award by the James Beard Foundation. And most importantly,
4: she has brought us pastries. Welcome, Umber. Welcome. Thank you so much. I'm so happy to be here. I feel like I can't go anywhere without pastries because when I show up, people get really angry. So um, I brought you guys old-fashioned donuts this morning.
0: Can Thank we talk you. about these old fashioned donuts? Because I went Please. to a dinner on Friday and Saturday mm. and I brought them. I live on, you know, a few blocks away from this bakery and I go there pretty regularly. And both nights to dinner, I brought these old
4: fashioned donuts and people freaked out. I love that. That makes me so happy. One of my best experiences with food is we had a food critic come into the bakery one day uh, when we had just introduced soft serve ice cream. And he sat down and he had a bite and he looked at me and he swore. And uh, I thought that wasn't a good thing. And he said, this is the best dairy queen I've ever had. And I was like, oh, that's brilliant. That's a massive compliment. It's
3: huge. Huge. It's It's huge. huge. Because
4: if I can be peanut buster parfait level, I mean, Mm -hmm. I'm done. That's Mm -hmm amazing so uh, for people to freak out over what we do is just everything for me
1: and i just want to say that um you just made me feel like i don't get out much you had two dinner parties this past weekend
0: (laughs) i I (laughs) felt the same thing i felt like i was bragging i usually don't do that um but both times i'm like i'll bring dessert you'll bring dessert can you just show us them because they're not like your regular donut they're more like a like a fritter like a what how would we describe them mark i want you to see them
1: I can't wait. We get to eat them, right? Yeah, we're not just going to okay. look at
4: them. No, I look certainly look hope you'll eat, eat them. Eat. Makes me sad when people stare at the food. Oh no, 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 yeah. no. Although no. that is sadly kind of a New York thing to do. There's, you know, they're the eaters and then the starers, um or the, the, the and people. I'm taking a photo as we eat them. You're going that to put that. That's on. like more for my personal <laughs> collection,
1: <laughs> not for your friendster profile. Okay,
4: so what are these? <laughs> so this is an old-fashioned donut. So donuts can come in a whole variety of uh, flavors and sort of makes. Some donuts are made with yeast and doughs, and some donuts are made with like brioche dough, which got more. In it. So this is more of a yeast dough. It's a very traditional donut, which is why it's considered an old-fashioned. We play with it a little bit, so we add a little bit of lemon zest to it. We add a little bit of uh, buttermilk. We've got vanilla bean in it, and what we do is we also cut them open. I'm huge on soft to crunchy ratio. I'm a lot about nothing being homogenous. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think that's one of the things that I love about New York so much is that we're not monochromatic here. There's all sorts of different experiences and flavors and essences. So I love a lot of crunchy and soft, and so when we cut them though we cut them you get a lot of sort of ridges so they fry up you get a lot of crispy edges which i love do you fry donuts we do yeah
1: okay because in in new haven there used to be this place the yankee doodle which was this coffee shop where you went for greasy burgers but they were also the only place in town that would fry the donut and they cut you know slice the donuts lengthwise and then fry them yeah you can't get that in new haven anymore really Uh, no you can't so what do people do in new haven uh, eat pizza. I just to yeah, say course. that. Of course. But I mean, you just like fried donuts, my yeah. God. Yeah. yeah, we fry donuts. It takes me back.
4: Um, it's crazy. And um, then as soon as they come out, for as hot as we can handle them with our hands, we dip them in glaze. Um, And then the glaze just kind of seeps in a little bit into uh, sort of the the nooks and crannies of the donut, and then it all cools that way. So that's why you get the shape that you get. Um, We used to do round donuts. Um, I'm also – I have a science background, um, and I'm really focused on efficiency. So when you cut something round out of a square, you get scrap, and that's waste. And so if you want to be an efficient business person, you say, how do we reduce waste? So we made our donuts square. So our donuts are square, so we have no waste. And that also gives you more donut for your dollar. So, so
1: this also raises the, a question I wanted to ask, which is what makes something a donut, right? Because, I mean, certainly there are people who expect their donut to be round. There right. people, does it have to have the whole? Does, so it obviously doesn't have to be round. Right. What? At what point have you moved so far away from a donut that it's not a donut? What's the essential things that make something a
4: donut? I think, well, this is pre-New Haven conversation. I believe that it was frying a dough. Okay. would consider it a donut. Um, and it was typically a round or a uh, log shape. Mm-hmm. Um, and then usually there's a hole unless you fill it. So we make mm-hmm. um and we leave them without the hole and then we fill it with jam. So it really is much more, I think, frying a dough. Got it. Got it. Got it. Do you also make hamentashin? We do make hamentashin. Because I like went in
0: there around Purim and I was like, you know, I like, because mazadar is an Urdu word, right? It and is. Yeah, so
4: it's a word out of the Urdu language, which is a language we speak in Pakistan, which is where my family is from. And it's the word that we use to describe uh, very, very basically, it's the word that people say is delicious. But the real essence of the word is the magic or the essence that makes something special. So imagine you bite into one of our donuts, which I sincerely hope that you do, because I'm so sad that they're sitting in their box on un- love. Give me.
1: Mark, you have to <laughs> try it. one here. I'm, I'm
4: definitely going to try one. I'm not
1: just going to try it. I mean, I'm sure I'm going to eat it.
4: I hope so. And Thank you. And uh, so what?
1: Oh, there's plate Oh, can I have a plate? Absolutely.
0: I'm going to have one, too, because I'm a professional, and I
4: want to be chewing during this (laughs) interview. So, mazadar is sort of what makes something special. So, it's kind of the thing that you attach to. Oh, my. So imagine you bite into a donut and you mm-hmm. think, God, what is this? Is it the glaze? Is it the vanilla? Is it the dough? I don't know what it is, there's a mazadar to it. It's ultimately what you, what you fall in love with and what brings you back. So our hope is that you meet us, you eat our food, you have these experiences, you find a mazadar, and you fall in love with us and you come back.
0: So before you were making people fall in love with your old-fashioned donuts, you went to MIT, you went to Wharton, I you did. were in
4: banking, you yeah. did consulting. like. Yeah. How did you get here? My mother would have said at one point that I blacked out and just became a baker. That's not the case. Um, For me, it was really about trying to take everything that I knew how to do and apply it to what I wanted to do. I think very often in people's lives, they identify themselves by their profession and say, I am this versus I know how to do these things or this is what I'm good at or this is what I enjoy. And so throughout my sort of life, I started out as a professional violinist and then I started flying and became a pilot and I went to MIT and studied finance. And so every step along the way, I sort of picked up the things that I really cared about. And then when I got to the point, I uh, ultimately left Goldman Sachs. Did you care about finance? I did care about finance. What I cared about finance was understanding the allocation of the availability of money. What I really started out doing was working in healthcare. I was working with large health systems and saying, okay, here's your pot of money and here's your population, and now you need to make that pot of money take care of this population. And I was tasked with the population piece. What I was really focused on was how do we get that pot of money to be larger? Who's making those financial allocation decisions? And what I lacked in my education was finance understanding. So I went to Wharton and uh, earned my MBA. And then I went into finance. I went to Wall Street and started to say, okay, who's making these decisions? I want to be the person making these decisions. Uh, I want to understand how this money gets it gets allocated. Uh, how do we find the best way to take care of the most people possible? I, I worry more and more that the world is becoming more myopic um, and more selfish, uh, more narcissistic, and that's not ultimately how we're going to prosper. Food for me had always been something that was in my family, uh, being from Pakistan uh, you know, it's very much a cultural thing, which is, I think, one of the great commonalities. There's so many commonalities between our culture and the Jewish culture, and so much of it's about food. Like, every one of our grandmothers is like, Have you eaten? Sit down. <laughs> let me feed you. I mean, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter the I mean, length. you you
0: came here with food. You did to feed come us. with food. That's <laughs>
4: exactly right. Um, and, and the idea, again, was just around nourishing people and creating experience through food. I mean, it's one of those really interesting things is that. But you know,
1: wait a second. At some yeah. point when you left Goldman, yeah. your parents were like, what are you doing? You're going to go bake? I mean, I, <laughs> well, feel, I feel like you're glossing over. Like, there was there was a moment where people were like, wait a second. We didn't send you to MIT. And I, I at some point, you probably sent yourself to Wharton. But it was like, we didn't move to this country and get you to MIT <laughs> right. so that you could bake. No? Right. I mean, they were totally 1,000% supportive, so, which would be a difference between your culture and Jewish culture.
4: <laughs> well, my, my father always wanted me to be a physician. So uh, when I ended up in banking and I was on track to become a managing director, my father looked at me one day and he goes, I thought about it. You're not going to be the other MD, but you'll be this kind of MD. It's okay. We can tell our friends. <laughs> and I was like, okay. I think we're okay. I think we've gone over but this. But then huh? you left. <laughs> but what <I> does <laughs> wow, he tell them now? <laughs> uh, well, what's interesting is he... Uh, My parents have been extraordinarily supportive and they, I think, were very different than a lot of other Pakistani parents in part because they were also, they were the original entrepreneurs. They left their country. They came to another country. They set up this incredible sort of life for us. And every year we used to travel to another country. Every year, my parents would pick a country and a map, and we'd go live there for the summer. We'd do half our summer in Pakistan, and half our summer in another country. So they were always the people that said, you know, there's something else out there. Um, but then it was also study your science, <laughs> go, go study biology, get your prima, pilot's license. Get your pilot's license, you know, learn your languages, all those things. And then uh, what I ended up wanting to really do was ultimately become my own client. And that's what I did. And people say, oh my God, you're a baker. And I would stop them and I say, I'm building the next great heritage brand, and it happens to take the form of this pastry. It is food, and it's incredible. But I'm building a brand. It's a multi-million-dollar business that I I have. So it is donuts, and it is brownies, and it is cookies. But you know, you know who's laughing all the way to the bank? Sarah Lee. So people are like, she was a baker. And I'm like, mm, she is living on some private island somewhere. She
1: was actually a Jewish guy. Yes. Did you know that, Sarah Sarah Lee was actually like a Jewish guy? Yeah. Who, but
4: knowing that people yeah. would buy food from a from a little white woman before <laughs> right. they would buy it from a Jewish guy. Right. But for me, it's about sort of creating an enterprise um, and doing it with storytelling. And one of the great sort of storytelling modalities in my life and with my family was food. We'd go to different countries and my mother would feed us foods and we'd have to tell her what it reminded us of. What country was it connected to? And we'd be in Morocco eating bastilla, and it had cinnamon in it. And we'd say, this reminds me of oatmeal at Michigan. And, you know, uh, Pakistan has tea with cardamom and reminds you of the bread in Finland. So food for me was really about how do I create connectivity and I managed to build a brand around it.
0: And so when you're growing up in northern Michigan, when you're not traveling to all these exotic places, what is the food you're eating?:
4: That's a good question. Um, it was a combination of things. Uh, we would eat Pakistani food with, you know with not great frequency. Um, it was a lot of stir fries, and it was a lot of casseroles and a lot of things. We had a, a woman who helped take care of us when we were children. She's originally from Finland, so we had a lot of Finnish food. Um, it was just just everything. It was never one specific thing, and it wasn't ever one not. The only thing we never ate was pork. That was the only thing that we never ate. Everything else we had.
1: And was that was that a religious thing for it them? It is. It's a Did, religious thing. Alcohol? How are they about that?
4: Uh, no alcohol.
1: And you? Uh,
4: no alcohol. Interesting. Yeah. And no pork. And no pork. To this day. To this day. Wow. Yeah.
1: We get a gentile of the week in here, and she keeps kosher. <laughs> I mean, it's like we just we just can't get a proper gentile. Of the week. So like, and
4: comes from
0: banking. <laughs> <That's> great.
1: <laughs> Went to MIT. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs>
0: I feel like the no alcohol thing must be like, you seem super driven and motivated and ambitious. And I feel like
4: if we all just cut out alcohol, we all could be. I I don't think so. I think I would be super fun drunk. I think <laughs> I would really enjoy booze. I really. And uh, so when I was uh, younger, I lived for a portion of time in Europe and uh I went through part of the sommelier course, uh, but only with my nose. I didn't taste anything, but I wanted to learn and understand the complexities of how things are made. Um, And so I became really good at it because actually tasting wine sort of deadens your senses. And so I can be quite good about sort of identifying things that way. Um, For me, it- Hence your blog, The Dry Sommelier. (laughs) Yes, exactly. (laughs) Eat your grapes, don't drink them. That's right. Yes, exactly. But yeah, I think it was really more familial, to be honest, because we grew up in an area where there were no other non-Christians. It wasn't right. even non-Muslims, non-Christians. It was us. Um, there was one Indian family and one Chinese family, and everybody else was Protestant, Catholic. See,
1: I grew up in that area in Western Massachusetts where everyone was Irish Catholic, right. and therefore we ate a lot of Domino's pizza oh, and friendlies. So yeah. it was <laughs> a slightly less culturally rich. Like my parents didn't do with it what your parents did. Do you? I don't mean to fixate on this, but... Like, do you think you'll ever drink alcohol?
4: You know, I to be totally honest, I don't think that I will. I mean, part of it is I've gone this long without doing it. But a big part of it, honestly, is religion for us was less about sitting in a mosque or sitting with a community or sitting with a group of people like us. And it was more about our family. And um, all of our religious sort of upbringing came through our parents, my sisters and mine. And so I think to drink is to essentially to dishonor my family. So you're not
1: a mosque goer.
4: I'm not a mosque I won't go to a mosque.
1: You won't. Mm -mm. Why not?
4: I wasn't raised in them. And I just don't think that, for me, religion is a little bit like a buffet. Um, You kind of take what works and you leave what doesn't. Um, And I think that that's a way that you can establish a real relationship with God. I think once you start setting really strict parameters around something and forcing someone to abide by things that don't inherently naturally feel organic to who they are, um, you're more likely to stray and you're more likely to rebel. If you say, like, this is my relationship with God, I mean, that's one of the really cool things that I am really appreciative about Islam, which I'm also appreciative about Judaism, which is, hey, you have to learn this yourself. Like, we're going to give you guides, but you're going to have to learn it yourself so you can sort of figure out what works and how – you know, what that that means to you. You know, it's interesting
0: um, because I feel like within Judaism, there is a lot of flexibility for people to be like, I'm a cultural Jew, but that's – this is still really important to me. And it's the food and it's the connection. Is there that same flexibility? I mean, have you sort of like forged your own path within Islam or do you know a lot of people who are like, yeah, I also – you know, because like not drinking to me seems pretty strict, but also you – it's not – it's not a dictate coming from unhide for you. It's just sort of like family. Yeah. So do you find that there's a lot of people who are also sort of towing that balance?
4: I do, and I think part of it is because for lack of a better explanation or lack of a better term, our religion has been hijacked by people who are extremists, by people who have uh, political agendas and who have nationalist agendas that don't actually have anything to do with the religion, but they're hiding behind the religion. So for me to sort of attach to my religion in the traditional way, then by sort of, unfortunate definition makes me part of that and I'm not part of that. So there's a lot of us that are saying, you know, we still want to believe, you know, in Islam and we think the tenets are meaningful and we we love God and we want to sort of live good, honorable lives but we don't believe in what's happening over here and that's not who we are.
1: See, this is the glory of America, right? Which yeah. is, it's where people come to sort of reformulate things and certainly that happened with Judaism where Reform Judaism and conservative Judaism really took off. But I've noticed, I've been saying for ages, every faith comes here to basically get re and yeah. and the the elders don't want to believe that yeah. but I see on college campuses, Women wearing hijabs, holding hands with their boyfriends. Yeah. And if you think about that, right, like our perception, our stereotype of a hijabi is like, she's not touching men till marriage. Right. doing And like, I think some of these women are also going to parties and drinking. The hijab is a thing they have chosen yeah. as a marker of cultural or religious affiliation or identity or attachment. But it's clearly not coming from like the imam back home who no. says, you go off to college and don't do not do anything. Don't touch anyone. And I'm just like, so it, it wouldn't make sense to people 50 years ago or in Egypt, but it makes in America, like on a college campus, it's like,
4: yeah. It makes more sense. It makes more sense. It modernizes a religion that has resisted modernization for a long time. Um, you know, so just even the, the pork, the no pork thing. And I don't know what the what the origin of no pork in Judaism is. It's but Torah, it's in the Bible. It's in the Old Testament. It's, it's dirty. Yeah. It's an animal that, that yeah. you know, it's not clean. And, and so, but one would argue that now, many oftentimes the way pigs are raised is yeah. cleaner than chickens. So you could make the modern argument that you know pork is okay. I mean, most of my Jewish friends do, but they usually eat bacon cheeseburgers because they say it's a double <laughs> negative. And they <laughs> kind of they, they both I've know, have of, you ever heard that one? No, oh, you haven't. That's, that's, kind of
1: that's new to uh, the double the negative. The double negative. So you bacon, bacon and
4: cheese. So you've you've sort of negated the no dairy with the meat, and oh then you my. add the bacon on there. It's a double negative. Sorry, have you ever
1: heard that? We've got our Orthodox producer out there. The double negative.
5: No, but that was the question that we got from Ed Lee. About why we can't eat pork these days. Yeah, he's clean. like,
0: why can't you eat pork now? Pigs it's are so it's like, organic and right. so good. And yeah. we're, we're like, it's the hooves. Uh, yeah, <laughs> <of> <laughs> right. Someone wrote it
4: once. <laughs> right. <laughs> right.
1: So, so you came to us with a question. We always give the Gentile of the week an opportunity to ask a question of the host. What what can we tell you?
4: So what I'm sort of always amazed by and sort of in awe of around the food piece of it, you know, food is something that is a cultural unifier. It's also something that I think the Jewish community has done extraordinarily well, which is attaching foods to very specific holidays. So we do sufganiyot, we'll do the hamantash, and then we do an apple cake, and then we'll do matzo crunch. And I know matzo crunch is more of sort of a mashup. But the idea of uh, creating a food story around a religious event, how did how did that evolve? Outside of the, we don't have any leavening, we can't have bread, I understand that piece of it, but outside of that, why sufganyot, why apples, why honey? So
1: some of them have stories behind them, like the fact that you eat dairy, shavuot it's a spring holiday it's also the holiday that celebrates the giving of the ten commandments and there's some we don't know historically why but there's some theory actually sarah and josh do you have any let's call on the producers here why sarah what's your learning on why we eat dairy for
0: she's very learned for for
5: there are a couple of theories the one i heard most recently which i love is agricultural which is that that is the time of year where baby goats are actually weaned off their mother and that was the first time that the milk was actually ready for Human consumption, and not mm. for the babies who needed it. But there are other reasons um, in terms of staying up all night.
1: Right, we stay up all night and study on, on Shavuot. And what about an apples and honey for the New Year for Rosh Hashanah? Well,
5: honey is for the sweet New Year. Right, for the apples just so taste really good with honey.
1: And I mean, a lot of it is these. There were these reasons back in history, but then I guess I would just say that they got baked into.
5: <laughs>
1: I didn't mean to do that. I really didn't. Um, they got baked into culture. In part, I would suggest because especially for women who were doing most of the cooking, um, they didn't have access to texts. Their way of connecting to the religion was not, they weren't being sent to to read and learn Talmud all day. And And by the way, most men weren't, Super learned either because the text, you know, as in Islam, it's it's a specialized thing. You need right. to have the leisure to sit around learning this stuff all the time. Right. And so, for a lot of people, like it's a tough religion, right? Uh-huh. And to be learned in. So one of the ways you can connect if you don't have access to the text is to is to kind of build a home based religion. So I mean, that would be my
0: yeah. Guess. I mean, to me, the beauty of it is that actually, like, to, like apples and honey reminds me of fall and and the new yeah. year, and and it it doesn't necessarily like not. Like, going to synagogue maybe doesn't give me that same connection, whereas, like, apples and honey is so visceral. Right. It's so intimate, almost. And so I think that – I don't know why or where it comes from, necessarily, but to me, it's so real. Even, like, yeah. latkes for Hanukkah, we're like, yeah. okay, you fry the – use oil because the story's about oil, and we eat latkes. And I'm like, great. If I smell latkes, I just – It takes you back. Yeah. Yeah. But I do want to say, like, when I – we call you the Gentile of the week. When I think of a Gentile, I really do think of, like, a white bread Protestant. Like, to me, Gentile (laughs) actually doesn't – I mean, maybe it does. I know Mormons call everyone who's not Mormon a Gentile, so technically we are are Gentiles to them. But do you identify
4: (laughs) – Identify as a gentile? Probably not. No, I don't. I actually know more Yiddish than most of my Jewish friends. Uh, I literally walked into the office the other day, and one of my colleagues had her sweater on the floor. I was like, "Pick up that schmata. Yes, <laughs> and it was just so natural. And I was like, "I don't want to deal with this mishigas. Just stop, everybody." Well, done. So,
1: oh, I'm no, it's good. I have a question for you. Early in our show, we there was some controversy over whether it was more offensive or whether it was offensive to call someone a gentile of the week or a. Would you prefer gentile of the week or non-Jew of the week? Do, or do you not care?
4: I don't really care. I don't
1: really care. I don't think anyone would no, care. No,
4: I don't think you care. I sort of like the idea of Gentile because it gives you an identity um, rather than saying what you're not. I'm yeah. very, I'm really sort of focused on one of the things that I work with my team. When we talk about the food, we do tastings. I said, don't tell me what it's not. Tell me what it is. And so I kind of like the idea of not being referred to as a non-Jew, but we refer to as a Gentile because that's what I am. Well, you got it. Umber Ahmad? Thank you so much. The bakery
1: is Mazadar. Where where can people find your work, geographically and virtually? Geographically,
4: virtually. Look into the stars. You'll see me everywhere. (laughs) 28 Greenwich Avenue, so we're on Greenwich Avenue between West 10th and Charles. We are opening our second location in New York on Lexington and 53rd. Awesome, Thank you. Get those tourists. Yes, please. And the businessmen. <laughs> right. Um, and um, then we're opening two locations in Washington, D.C. next year. Uh, one in the Navy Yards, which is across the street from where the, um, the baseball stadium is, and then one in Arlington, Virginia at the base of the Amazon headquarters. But if you don't live anywhere near any of that, you can find us online. Uh, we ship nationwide, and we'd love to get pastries to you.
0: And how would you spell Mazadar for someone who's looking to Google it?
4: M is in Mary, A is in Apple, Apple, huh? <laughs> H is in Henry, Z is in Zebra, E is in Edward, D is in David, A is in Apple, H is in Henry, R is in Romeo. Bakery.
1: You learned that when you got your pilot's license, didn't you? I, <laughs> you know what I used to?
4: I used to do like Alpha Bravo Charlie Delta, and everybody was freaked out, and so finally it was like Apple, Bobby. <laughs> Chamomile, yeah. So, yes.
1: <laughs> thank you so much for being. Thank you, thank you. The GOTW,
4: and thank you for these
0: magical donuts or donuts Enjoy <laughs> them,
1: guys. So, thinking of how to make the fund drive interesting, I divided up our potential donors into four camps.
0: Okay, ones who back into parking
1: spaces. (laughs) People who are
0: mad at you because of parking.
1: Right.
2: People who are mad at you because you said things about short people. (laughs) That's right. People
1: who are mad at you. (laughs) No, no, no. There are four kinds. There is the kind... The wise son. There's the wise son. These are the donors... Who are giving $18 or less. And they make up the majority of our donors. And we love them. And a lot of these people are people who are giving up four coffees that week so that they can give to us. And our gratitude Or like to them, two matches. Yeah. Or our gratitude to them is unbounded. And we look at the name of everyone who gives and we say a little Shahekianu. It's like the 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 generosity of taking the time to give, even when you don't have. Um, three or four figures to give is, is really, it's, it moves us, it really, really does. Then I want to talk about the second camp. These are the people, I'm going to say, giving 36 to 360. And these are people who I think end up in their collectivity giving the majority of the money that, that we have, the majority of the actual absolute dollars. And, and these are people for whom I think they're giving until it hurts. And I want to say just for those people that keep in mind that this year at the $180 level, this is at tabletmag.com. slash donate the most beautiful you get an early, still smelling of the ink, copy of the newest Jewish Encyclopedia yes. to be published October 1, 2019. Uh, so 36 to 360. And p- do try to give in those Jewishly, mystically significant amounts. Why not? Why, mm, not? why not? Why not? Okay. Um, then I wanna talk about the people like 360 to 1800.
0: Whoa. These
1: are the angels. These are the people who, you know, maybe they gave 180 before. This year they're thinking, the kids are out of college. The budget's a little bit looser. They're not taking a vacation. So you're trying to think what to do that's spiritually meaningful with their money. And they think, what is a, a Jewish nonprofit that is really taking the message of the Jewish people and the unity of the Jewish people and the hilarity of the Jewish people into every corner of the globe? And they're at the 360 to $1,800 level. And um, all I can say is we have uh, some of those, if we get... Twice as many. All you could say is we'll do whatever you want. We'll do whatever you want. (laughs) Just tell us what it is that you want and we'll do it. There's (laughs) no way in which we won't abase ourselves. Right. right. And maybe you want to give that gift in honor of somebody whose name we then read on the air. You know, maybe that's in honor of your grandfather or your great aunt or a special teacher and we talk about that person. Or
0: like a wedding that's coming up. Yeah. It's wedding season.
1: And then there's the kind of donor that we've never had. Ooh, who are they? (laughs) They are the donor. This is the year that somebody who simply just has a lot of money, who has a lot of funds, and is thinking, I want to figure out more good things to do on on this earth with these funds, says, I want there to be a podcast that can march forward gaily into 5780 with true financial security because of the $20,000 or $100,000 that I give. And that's a special and we'll human we'll rename being. the podcast. 180,000. Like, this could right. be your, your naming rights. <laughs> that's right. But look, whichever one of those categories you find yourself in, each of them touched by the heavens in a different way, go to tabletmag.com slash donate. Um, a couple hundred people have given already, and it's yeah. been it, we're, we're so moved. We're trying to get to 75000 No,
0: $72,000. Oh, auspicious. This and year.
1: And these people who have given are the first in line to heaven. That's right. It's a well. A you will day. jump the queue. TabletMag.com/slash/donate. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. We really, really appreciate it. I just want to say, finally, that if everyone gives something, we will get there. And that is from the person giving a dollar eighty. All the way up to the person giving 1.8 million. If everyone gives something, we will get there. You know, and, there. and and here's the thing: this has been such a difficult week, right? In this country, is so much two mass shootings. So much is falling apart.
2: Yes, and, and and it's really obvious that no matter where you stand, you know, politically, no matter where you know how you feel about this issue or that, the real problem we're having here is a problem of community. Mm-hmm. It's it's a problem of figuring out how to be together. Now, you know, there are probably a lot of Jewish institutions that are very worthy, but you may not find yourself in one of them. You may not. Visit a synagogue or attend a synagogue every week. You may not uh, feel comfortable in uh, this community center or, or another. We really hope that this here is a place where you could just see yourself at home. You see yourself welcome. And if you do, give us money. What's wrong with you? I will say,
0: I love the little notes that people are leaving um, with their donations because it's just like so perfect. How about this? I'm crazy for you. I know my donation is well spent as I definitely have listened to more episodes of Unorthodox than movies I have seen this year. How about this one? Unortho for Life. Life spelled L-Y-F-F-F-F-F-F-F-E. How
2: did they know I have this tattoo
3: on my lower back?
0: (laughs) How about this one? Rick Goldstein. Mazel tov on four fantastic years of podcasting. I've been a fan since the first episode. Oh, this is actually one of my favorites. Love the podcast and especially my favorite host, Stephanie, my daughter-in-law. I see you there, <laughs> Wendy Cohen. And then this, this, this one is a little, bit, a, a little bit on another plane. Discovering truth requires a dedicated persistence to unorthodox, unrivaled, focused effort. Fortunately, it readily exists among us at Unorthodox. That's from Anonymous.
1: I love the, that this person realizes that our actual goal of this podcast is discovering truth. Mm-hmm. Like not making you laugh, not creating community, discovering truth. We are renaming the podcast Emmet. We'll, we'll get there. We'll at get some there. Point. Also, I want to thank everyone who's been filling out the survey. It turns out something like 10% of our listeners, according to the survey, are converts. And yes. uh, you know, a happier statistic I don't have. That's right. Um, and we
0: would never convert shame any of them.
1: Never. Mazel tovs. I am going to start. We got an email from our super listener, Ted Kantrowitz, who wants us to hand over the Mazel Tov to him, and I will. Listen to this. Two weeks ago, my weird never-ending cough given to me by one of the kids progressed to more odd symptoms. Swelling of the feet and increased shortness of breath. Two weeks later, it's a beautiful, cool Canadian morning, and I'm sitting on my front porch reading Saul Bellow with a defibrillator and pacemaker installed. No more symptoms, and my face strangely wet for some reason. He's crying. My father, grandfather, and uncle all died from heart issues, and as a washed-up rugby fanatic, I've already done a lifetime of heart fitness, which, in my case, genetics trumped. Sometimes you have no choice in these matters but to tremble before the God you don't usually believe exists. So, my mazel tov is especially for Dr. Jonathan Weiss, Dr. Sheldon Edelman, Drs. Paleyu, Husa, and Shepard, and especially nurses Catherine and Stefan of the Cardiac ICU at Jewish General of Montreal. Ted Kantrowitz. Mazels mazel to, the to the medical you. professionals who are keeping you well and, and listening. Especially
0: to Sheldon Adelman, who must like have a tough go of it Right,
1: when everyone <laughs> thinks he's Sheldon Adelson. He's you know, literally one letter away from being Sheldon Adelson. Liel, do you have a mazel Tough? I do. Who is it? You. Moi? <gasps> Moi? Happy birthday, oh, friend. Oh,
2: thank you. We are eternally grateful I'm... to you for, for convincing us to do this
1: this crazy this This, thing this this crazy journey i do
0: feel that a lot recently i'm like i'm really happy like i think i'm a legitimately different person than i was when we started the show i think this has enriched all of our lives in ways we could not have imagined
1: amen I love the story that, that you guys tell periodically, but some new listeners might not have heard it that when I suggested the three of us start a podcast, I oh, was completely and true. And you guys said yes and then I walked out of the room and you looked at each other like what the fuck We
2: had is we it? had phone calls like how do we tell Mark we <laughs> don't we? want to do this? <laughs> like, we'll just try him. this
0: a few times. Like, like, can maybe. I say
2: no to Mark? Oh like, break it to a do it and then like a month later be like, it's not working. Mark,
0: you were right.
1: Thank you. I do want You're to say right. about turning forty-five that um my gratitude that I am a Kirshner, right? My mother's side of the family, where Grandpa Walter lived to ninety-six, his sister Ruth lived to ninety-three, Henry lived to ninety-six. Like I'm, I'm not even halfway there. Right. And thank, thank you, Kirschner. Did you say you're living on a prayer? I would uh, say. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just living, living on a surfboard. Okay, board. enough about you. Stephanie. I have a
0: Mazel Tov to my friends, Ruben and Juliana. They had the cutest little girl. I Mazel tov her a while ago, Um, Elia Abigail. We sent them an unorthodox onesie. And this week I got the cutest picture of her in the onesie with those like baby headphones on that like for loud events with a phone, like as if plugged into a phone as though she was listening Aww, to the podcast. Aww. Nice. Baby J. Crew, all about it. It's the the crew cuts line. <laughs>
1: Unorthodox brought to you by Tablet Magazine, on the web at tabletmag.com. Send us email at unorthodox at tabletmag.com or leave us a voicemail, 914-570-4869. Join our Facebook group. Follow us on Instagram at Unorthodox Podcast or on Twitter at Unorthodox underscore pod. Our show is produced by Josh Cross, engineered by Paul Ruest. Our associate producer is Sarah Fredman Ader. Our editor is Melissa Kaplan. Our artwork is by Esther Wardiger. Our social media mashkiach is LSR Abrams. Our theme music is by Golem. And our mailbox theme is by Steve Barton. Rabbinic supervision this week by Congregation Sons of Abraham in La Crosse, Wisconsin. And we come to you from Argo Studios, your home for sonic comfort food. Shalom, friends.
3: They moo, et adamu, I moo, moo. The moo, the ma, the moo. O the moo, ha, ha, moo. Out ha, moo, moo. share moo, ha, ha, moo, moo. moo. neha, bar, uf shif to be teha, ha uf left to mu uf darah uf shart to shartam le mu be tamu mu uf mu